This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. I've always hated the idea of being a starving artist, that whole concept of you can't be compensated for something if you're really good at it or if you create it or if it's something that is interpretive and it's really hard to quantify how much something's worth. That whole philosophy, especially for creators, is so detrimental And that's why I was really excited to chat with Cheryl today. Cheryl and I first connected because she is part of my Become a Financial Coach program. So I've gotten to know her work and her amazing coaching skills over the past, oh goodness, few months or so. And one of the things that I've been so impressed by is Cheryl used to be an artist. And I say used to be, she still very much is an artist. I think once an artist, always an artist, but she has made career pivots, but has always really been good with her finances. And this is from an artist's approach. So I thought this was really helpful because I know there are a ton of artists that are listening into this show and I'm so grateful for you. And I'm glad that you're trying to be better with your finances. So I think this episode is definitely going to resonate with you. Let me give you a quick background into Cheryl and all of her awesomeness. So you have a better idea of who she is and why she's qualified to teach you today. Cheryl Kosevsky is a really amazing financial coach. She's a certified financial coach and she's also a business coach. All of her work can be found at self-worth.coach. When you're working with Cheryl, it's really an opportunity to create a new vision for your life and change how you see yourself regarding money. She works with individuals, couples, and specializes in working with creative entrepreneurs, artists, designers, architects, and others who love what they do, but don't feel like they're experts in business or finance. Like, raise your hand if you've ever felt that way. I really love everything that Cheryl is up to because she really does have this really unique concept called save your way out of debt. We dive into this towards the end of the episode. So I think you're really going to appreciate her perspectives on this. Here's what we cover in today's conversation. We first dive into how Cheryl got into financial coaching, which was actually from teaching artists how to make a living. The notion of being a starving artist, we dive into a really good conversation around that and why that mindset is so damaging, why you can be successful in any field and how collecting evidence can help prove that why people are so overly critical of their own artwork and the is it good enough question. 
creating a treasure map to set financial goals and budget. I love this. Cheryl has an entire program on this and I think it's so valuable. It's actually one that I want to sign up for myself. It just seems like so much fun. We dive into Cheryl's save your way out of debt strategy and what specifically that looks like. And we also have a nice conversation around how to take care of your money and yourself. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this episode. I know I did. Do me the biggest favor. If you enjoy this episode or you think it could resonate with somebody, send it to one person that you care about. And then come say hi to me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. And let me know that you're listening in. I always love connecting with you and seeing what you're up to with your finances too. All right, I'm going to turn the mic over. Let's dive into this fun conversation with my friend, Cheryl. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm joined by one of my fellow financial coaches and friend, Cheryl. Thank you so much for hanging out. Yeah, my pleasure. I am so excited to chat with you about your background and your journey into the financial world. So give us all some context. What do you do today? And then how did you get to where you're helping other people with their their finances? Yeah. So today I'm a money coach and I am certified financial recovery counselor is the actual certification. And so in my practice, I teach people how to get out of debt. I teach them how to save. I teach them how to budget and stuff like that. But I'm also talking to them about their financial relationship with money mm-hmm. and looking at their history, what they learned from their parents, what they learned from teachers, the decisions kind of they made about themselves in regards to money and how that may be affecting them in a bad way uh, in terms of the decisions they're making about their spending and also, you know, saving, you know, whether or not they're saving and if they're allowing themselves to make enough money. That's huge. And I know we're going to have a lot of conversations around that topic specifically too, but tell us a little bit about what your journey to helping other people with money, where did that passion come from? (laughs) So that came from kind of from the side. I actually am trained and made my living for quite a long time as an artist. And I live here in Chicago and this organization called the Chicago Artist Coalition came to me at one point and said, can you teach other people how to make a living as an artist? And I said, sure. You know, I'd also, I've loved teaching. I've been teaching since I was a teenager. And so I taught this class called the business of art and it was mostly about marketing and how to manage your time and things like that. And as I kept working with clients, I kept seeing that so many of them didn't feel able to charge what their work was really worth. And they were, you know, to a ridiculous degree, they were sometimes comparing their work to something that somebody could have bought at Target, Mm. um, even though it was a handmade, one-of-a-kind piece. And so it became really clear that if I couldn't figure out for them how to change that mindset regarding their money and also teach them some skills about managing their money because a lot of them were making kind of uh, poor decisions in regards to that, that no matter what I taught them about marketing and stuff, they were never going to make any money. Mm -hmm. Um, So at that point, that's when I kind of reached out initially to a, just a life coach, just because for myself, I knew that my work was worth the same as a lot of the other people in the area. 
But I, I even had a computer program and it would, I'd put in there, you know, what the materials cost was and then how many hours, and it was supposed to be at $95 an hour. And then this dollar amount would show up in the bottom. That was what I was supposed to quote the client. And in my own head, I kept hearing it go, yeah, no one's ever going to pay you that. Mm. And then I would reduce the amount and give the quote to somebody. So I wound up hiring a coach that was just a life coach because at that time I wasn't aware that there were financial coaches and I don't even know that there were too many. And I hired her just to hold me accountable because I knew if I told her that I would charge what I said I should charge, that I'd do it, even though I couldn't do it for myself. And that's just because I'm a real people pleaser and there was no way I was going to disappoint her. But later it was like, this is silly. You know, I need to figure out how to change this for myself, not because I made a commitment to somebody else. Right. So that's kind of how I got into it. And, you know, first as a client, and then I studied it and, you know, then started my own business. I love this. Okay. There's one thing I want to dive into, and that's this whole concept of being a starving artist. I think for some people, there's a huge connotation that if you go into the arts, you are destined to be broke. Tell us a little bit about that, that, I guess that mindset and why that's so damaging for so many people. It's incredibly damaging. And it is, you know, if you go to school to be a doctor, to be an accountant, to be anything, there's the expectation that you're going to make money at it when you uh, graduate. Right. Many, 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 many art schools will say, teachers will get up in front of classes and say, okay, so this is what you're studying. This is your passion, but you need a plan B because it's Mm. probably not going to work out. And so you probably need this other thing on the side in order to do that. And years ago, actually, when I was involved with the Chicago Arts Coalition, I went to a seminar one day that was uh, teachers talking about the arts. And um, almost all of them kept saying this. And I finally got so angry that I stood up and I said, you know what, you all need to quit because it's not acceptable that you're being a teacher because you think you can't make money doing what you really want to be doing. And you're passing that information down to every student that you have. And that is absolutely not okay. What they brought up though, was kind of interesting. For some reason, they felt that because they loved creating art, that that should be good enough. Hmm. That, you know, as if people, other people didn't enjoy their jobs. It was so bizarre. Right. I was like, you know, you know, my father was a salesman. He loved what he did. You know, it was like, why would you be thinking that we're the only ones who go to work every day and love what we do? And so it's really ingrained. And it's not true. You know, as in any other field, there are people who make $5 an hour and people who make a million dollars an hour in every single field. And so, you know, when I work with artists, I say to them, I want you to collect in, you know, kind of evidence Mm -hmm. that um, there are people who are painters or architects or designers, whatever it is you do, that are making really, really great money. Because if they can do it, so can you. And there's absolutely no reason to have this whole thing going on, but it is so hurtful, so hurtful that they do that. And it's almost like thinking there's some nobility about it, which I I find really, 
you know, distressing. <laughs> I do too. I do too. And I love that you're, I mean, we're talking about artists, but this it's this whole concept of imposter syndrome that I think so many of us have experienced at some point in our lives. Maybe we're experiencing that now, but we all relate to that. And you mentioned something that I think is so important. You said collect evidence. What the heck does that mean, Cheryl? So it's to find people, you know, in the art world, there are many, many, many artists that are making substantial amounts of money. And so you want to research them. You want to look up what was their background? What did they study? What did they do? Where did they show? Because that's going to point you to information about how to succeed in the field. Mm. Just like, you know, in other fields, you'd be, you know, getting a mentor or doing something else that was in your field who would help you understand what the road is to success in your particular field. And it doesn't exist so much. Well, occasionally it does, you know, if there's a visiting artist or something in a group, but um, you know, it's just really not talked about. And so the expectation right from the beginning, when you become a artist is, well, I love this. I'm going to do it, but I probably won't make any money at it. But, you know, I just can't not do it because my heart's telling me that's the direction I need to go. And, you know, you're, I think when you follow your heart, no matter what you're doing, you have so much more possibility of success because you love what you do. You know, who wants to hire anybody who doesn't like their job? You know, we've all been at the store when the clerk is complaining about the job and it's awful. You want to get out of there as fast as possible. (laughs) You really do. Um, (laughs) So why shouldn't we all be working at the thing that we love to do? And, you know, probably that thing is what we're best at. And so, you know, that ought to be the thing we can make the most money at. I love that you're saying this. And I, I, I think of my experience with furniture flipping when I'm doing things here and there. And I don't know if this is, I would imagine it's true for artists as well. But whenever I remember when I first started flipping pieces, I would look at them and I would be like, oh my God, this is not worth anything. I'm terrible. This isn't good. There's these other people that are doing these incredible pieces that are finished professionally. They just look amazing. And I'm not to that level. And I think it's maybe because I was using my own hands to create that, that I started to second guess myself so much. So for artists, is that, is that a very real thing where they're just totally nitpicking all of their pieces of art and just saying it's not valuable? Like, is that part of that issue? Yes. And depending upon what you're doing, it's personal. Mm. right? It's it's your personal vision of something. And that is slightly different about the arts than other things that we do. But so it's exposing, you know, so in some way you're exposing your view of the world or your political beliefs or personal beliefs, whatever it is that you're talking about in your work. And just as we all have ideas that people won't like us personally, if we to, you know, expose ourselves that exists when you show your work too, in a different way. So it feels like it's a more frightening experience than other work might be when you have a show or you're a musician and you're playing, you feel like your heart is more exposed. However, that's also where the joy comes from is that you, you know, get to be entirely you and expressing yourself in the world. and. 
So I don't know if it's much as much imposter syndrome or as it is, is it good enough? Mm, that vulnerability. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. When you were when you were first getting started as an artist and you started to actually make money and said, this could be truly my full-time job. This could be my career, my focus for the next 10 years, five years, whatever you decided at that time. When you were thinking through that, what did your finances look at that point? Were they kind of in shambles? Were they fairly together and organized? Like how, how did your financial journey progress? You know, it's so funny. I went to school and my, my college degree is actually in textile design. Oh, really? um, Yeah. And I, it was so funny. I, I had made that choice because I was studying fine art for just one year. And I thought, no, I need to do something more that's going to be a moneymaker. Mm. I don't know why I thought being a textile designer would be a moneymaker any more than any other kind of art, but <laughs> I made that decision and I studied it and went to Canada to, to study it. And um, my fourth year of school, I went to a conference that was a textile conference and found out and this is the first time in four years of school, that if I wanted to design fabrics, I was going to have to move to New York Hmm. or China because that's where people designed fabric. And I didn't want to move to either one of those places. And I just was kind of like, okay, this is the skill that I have now. I've just finished this degree in this. And so I came back to Chicago and started my own business doing that immediately. Wow. And I was quite fortunate in that I had fairly good success right from the beginning. Yeah. I think I think that came just from sort of having an innate understanding of marketing and and luck, <laughs> you know. Always. Uh and so it just, you know, worked out for me. And in that world, I never questioned my ability. I don't know why not, but I never did. When I started doing financial counseling, it took me years to feel like I didn't have that imposter syndrome, you know, because for a long time I was like, do I really know what I'm doing? You know, whatever. Uh, Can this really help people? Do I, you know, do I have the skills? I never, ever had that as an artist. That is so interesting. Yeah. And I don't, to this day, you know, I still do art for myself and I still sell some pieces, but I have always just trusted that piece in me. And I think because, you know, even even though I was just out of college, I'd been creating artwork since I was a child. So it was kind of like ingrained. I like that you mentioned it's ingrained because that is kind of true for a lot of people is I think we are all naturally very artistic, but at some point it seems like we suppress that or society tells us, you know, go get a a real job, whatever that looks like and put aside these passions and be more realistic. And so many of us do lose that artistic side, which is such a bummer. Yeah, it is. Now, the other side of that is one of the reasons that happened for me is because I'm of the generation that my parents thought I would just get married to some man and he paid for everything. So <laughs> yeah. it wasn't necessary. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? It wasn't, yeah, didn't work out very well, quite frankly. So, uh, you know, good sides and bad sides to that. <laughs> sure, sure. So you're uh, way too, from what I know of you, you are very, very independent that I can imagine that that, <laughs> that style of life was never for you. <laughs> well, you know, I didn't, I don't know what my parents were thinking. I didn't get married till I was 38. And then I was married for 20 years and then got divorced. Um, And, you know, 
but I well, you're right. My marriage was 50-50 financially. You know, you. even though my husband made more money than I do, I was responsible to pay 50% of our household awesome. and did, you know, and so, you know, it, that was this independent streak and this desire always to be financially independent. I love that about you too. And I think it's so awesome to see the area and how much you're helping people in the arts field, of course, but it's, it's not like you're helping people well outside of the arts field as well. So I don't want to like box you in and say you are only financial coaching. At this point, I have very few artists as my clients, Um, which is a bummer. Yes. You know, I think because of what we were talking about earlier, many of them are so sure they're never going to make any money. They don't want to make the investment into learning the skills that they need. And not everybody, you know, there are certainly, you know, I've had over the years, numbers of artists as clients, but, um, but they don't necessarily come to it as easily. They also have this idea that working with numbers is not creative and they only want to do the creative things. Hmm. Whereas I think, I actually think that being a financial counselor has been even more creative than creating artwork. It's, you know, cause it's, sort of the same process as creating a piece of artwork. You're creating a process that you're going to work with your clients. You're helping them figure out what their desires are, what, you know, what their dreams are for themselves. And then together, it's kind of more Mm co-creating together, you know, a plan to help this person realize their desires. And so it's, you know, very, very creative in that way. And for me anyway, it's been much more fulfilling. Yeah, I could totally see that too. It makes a lot of sense to view it with that same lens of how do I take these artistic processes that I already have in place and apply this to the financial world and not view it as so black and white. Like there's so much gray in finance that people don't even realize and it's so fascinating to me. I'm curious when you're when you're helping people get their finances in order. What does that process look like? Like if somebody reaches out to you tomorrow and they're like, Cheryl, I need help with my money. I'm not doing so hot. How do you start to help them? So I always start with what they want their life to look like. Mm. Um, And in that realm, I actually go back to my art with my clients and I have them create what I call is a treasure map. So they create a visual representation of what they want their life to look like. and. So that's where we begin because for most of us, money for money's sake is not particularly interesting. And so we need to get really clear about what we want that money for in order to be able to get the process started anyway. Because initially, learning any new thing is challenging. And so until you get used to tracking your spending and working with a budget and stuff like that, it's challenging. But if you keep reminding yourself, ah, but this is going to get me to that I'm going to be able to travel four months out of the year, then, you know, you're much more willing to go through that process. And so I want them to stay really focused on that always. Also, when they're creating their, so the next step is usually if they haven't, um, you know, clients come in from all different levels. Mm-hmm. So lots of clients come in who have been avoiding their finances as much as possible. 
Yeah. They haven't looked at their bank statements except to see if they're going to be withdrawn. And they, you know, in the years of checks, they weren't balancing their checkbooks. They weren't always paying their bills on time. You know, they were just checking out. So we start with, okay, what's current reality? You know, what money do you have? Where is it? How are you handling it? Do you have a process? And then I generally have them work with some kind of a budgeting app. Yeah. Um, So as you and I've talked about before, I love Karen McCall's Money Grit. And so I recommend that quite a bit. I do have some clients, though, that that is a little more complicated than they're ready for. Mm -hmm. And because it's a really robust program. And so for those clients, I'll often recommend every dollar. Mm. Um, because it's just a basic pretty straightforward yep it's also for some of the artists that I do have it's more visually appealing Mm -hmm. and so they can get more engaged with it once we do that then we talk about you know okay do you have any debt you know and that's the next thing that we talk about and I don't know if you want me to go into that right now but that is a process that I work with them on called saving your way out of debt where I talk to them about, you know, once we once we look at the budget, the budget is a month-to-month budget. Mm-hmm. Most all of us, though, have expenses that come up irregularly. Totally. And technically, that's called periodic expenses. And so what I want people to do is to have money available for those unexpected on irregular expenses. I won't even say unexpected because they are expected. They are. Things like, you know, that it's car repairs, it's birthdays, it's Christmas or Hanukkah, it's Thanksgiving, it's what else? Insurance that comes up irregularly, it's Mm -hmm. doctor's appointments or eye exams or whatever uh, that come up. And those are the things that often are the reasons that people fall into debt. Yeah. Because the Sometimes, not always, they are necessary things. You know, if you get a flat tire, you need to get it taken care of if you need to get to work. And if you don't have savings, your only option is to use a credit card. And so what I am very committed to is helping people stay out of debt. Yeah, I don't actually care how long it takes them to get out of debt. What I want and what I often recommend is that they pay the minimums on their credit cards for quite a while so that they can build up their savings. And I can tell you a great process for people to do is to take a piece of paper and go put down every month, you know, January through December. And then you go through and you say, okay, what are the expenses that I have that come up irregularly in January? Whose birthday is in there? You know, do I have a car payment in there? Do I have, you know, car car payment is not correct because that's probably a regular monthly expense. But those things that come up just once a year, twice a year, six times a year, those are the things that you want in there. In addition, so you're going to write down on this piece of paper, it's Judy's birthday, and then you're going to put in there what you plan on spending Mm. on that gift. Okay, for every single one of these. This is so once you've completed it every month, you add it up, and let's say it comes to four thousand dollars. So take that four thousand dollars, divide it by 12, and whatever that number is, 
ideally, that's what you want to be putting into savings. You're putting it into savings, though, in a savings account that is unlike others, because the savings in there is meant to be a revolving account. So the money's going in there. And then when the expense arrives, when your you know car repair comes up, you take the money back out of there mm-hmm. if needed. If you don't need it, you can leave it in there. But if you are short that month, the money's already sitting in there. You take it out. You've got it. No problem. That's awesome. Then you don't ever, ever have to go into debt ever again because you always have that money sitting there. Saving your way out of debt. Yeah. In the beginning, you may not be able to put the full dollar amount in there. Yeah. That's okay. You put in as much as you possibly can. But as I say, how you get the money is you stop paying more than the minimum on the credit card debt. And there's this fallacy about that anyway. People think that if they put more than the minimum on, somehow that makes their credit score better. doesn't have anything to do with their credit score. So they're making that sacrifice for something that actually is sort of like a myth. Um, so you know. true though. And also I see a lot of people that they say, let's say it's a credit card minimum payment of $117. They immediately round it up to 120 because they, they're like, oh, I just like a whole number. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so we yeah. make all these like so silly decisions, which great. If you want to pay off your debt, that's amazing. But a lot of times it's it's recognizing that some of our decisions are not necessarily based on logic, but a concept like saving your way out of debt, it really is. It's, it's keying into that preventative measure. And I, I appreciate that so much as a fellow coach. I think that's amazing that you are helping people do that. Is it something that people have a lot of pushback on when you first introduce them to this concept? Sure. You know, because the because every other person they've talked to about their finances, every professional, every financial advisor has told them, oh, no, no, you have to get rid of that debt as quickly as possible because the interest is going to kill you. But the truth is, if you can't stay out of debt, you're going to have that cost and interest anyway. It's so true. You know, because you're just going to be right back into debt again. And certainly I want my clients to find places to get the least amount of interest that they can while they're, you know, slowly paying it off to mitigate that. But I really want them, actually, what I want them to do is to stop using their credit cards right as quickly as possible. Okay. (laughs) And, you know, that is so hard for people. So, so hard for people and frightening actually for a lot of people because a lot of people are reliant on that money that they're giving themselves, but they don't realize that they're, it's like a lie. You know, they think they can afford more in life because they're supplementing their income with this debt. And yet you and I know that, you know, that toaster they bought is going to wind up costing them five times as much as they paid for it in the end. So, you know, and especially lately, you know, because when I was younger, interest used to be, you know, 5% or something. Now it's 25%. It's crazy. Out of control. It really is. um, And if your credit score is bad, it could be 50%. Right. It's so true. Cheryl, I've got to ask too, when, when people hear this concept, I could see some people maybe getting a little bit confused and saying, how is how is this different than an emergency fund? So can you kind of talk about the differences there? Yeah. So it is not an emergency fund. 
Um, an emergency fund is going to be three to six months of income that you put aside in case of a real emergency. So that is if you uh, get sick and can't go to work, if you get laid off during, you know, coronavirus comes up and, you know, oh, they really? tell you you're late, you know, you're on furlough for a month, that that money is there so that you have that money to live on for that period of time. This, as I say, is totally different. It is, first of all, revolving so that money goes in, money comes back out. And it is part of what life actually costs you right now. Mm. You know, the emergency fund is someday this might happen. Yeah. Periodic expenses happen all every month most, for most of us, right? <laughs> yep. And so this is not extra money. This is part of what life costs you. And that's confusing for people. You know, it is. we all kind of, think of that our life costs us what our usual monthly expenses are. So we kind of say, okay, rent is this much, phones this much, utilities are this much, my car costs this much, but that's how much money I need to make. And this is particularly important for entrepreneurs, right? Because they have the ability to set goals and, you know, for themselves and to say, this is how much I need and want to be making. So if we're only thinking that we need, you know, $3,000 because that's what our regular monthly expenses are, you know, and yet when we look at the periodics, maybe it's $10,000 a year. Right. Well, that's not in the picture anywhere. And you're not setting that as a goal for yourself for income, you know, which sets you up to be at a loss forever. This is such yeah. a good point too. And I love that you're, you're hitting on this. And I've heard, I've heard of some people doing similar things with sinking funds, but what I love about your strategy is it's very simple. It's very proactive and I don't need 20 different accounts to save for all these different things. I actually really appreciate that aspect of it a lot. Yeah. And actually for the account, oddly, at this point in history, that account might actually, even though you're saving in there, it might be a checking account because yeah. checking accounts for some reason cost less these days than savings accounts. Crazy. And, you know, and so you may actually want to put it in there because you are going to be transferring money in and out of there regularly. That makes sense. Okay. And this is something where G recommend people when they have their calendar sitting in front of them and they're going January through December, how often should they revisit this? Is this a one and done thing or is this something where we do have to revisit it periodically? So you don't have to write it more than once a year. Um, although, you know, unexpected things will come up as well, but it's important that you if you're tracking your income and expenses or budgeting, that you remember to enter those items into your budget for that month. Yes. Okay. Um, MoneyGrid does that automatically. It has a way of do, putting a periodic calendar together within it. And then once you do that, it automatically populates into your months. But if you're even doing it on a piece of paper, just as you have it there, remember that when you're doing that month's budget that you enter that information into there. Yeah. Okay. That's really helpful information too. So once we we have this down and we're we're good, I think the part that's always so tricky for people is 
sticking to their spending plan. Once we have our budget in order that it's like, okay, great. I'm done. Right. I can just sit back and everything's going to work out so perfectly. And we both know that's not the case. So what suggestions or tips or tricks do you have for people to stay focused on their overall financial plan? So I think you need to know yourself and what motivates you. Um, As I say, for some, it requires hiring a coach. And that's because that coach is going to be the person who's going to hold you accountable. You can also, if you don't want to hire a coach, you can also partner with somebody and hold each other accountable. But you need to understand what motivates you. So it could be, I actually recommend to my clients that they create sort of a ceremony when they do their budgeting so that they put a candle on or they put on a kimono that, you know, is special for that occasion or particular jewelry or something, you know, and set it out as a ceremony and to be thinking about when you're doing your budgeting, that it's a tool for attracting money, right? That you know that and I know that, that if you're not really keeping track of your money, if we're talking from a spiritual perspective, money is going to not want to show up in your life if you're not taking care of it. Oh, this is so good. So, yeah, so we can sort of be magical about it and attract it to us by being good stewards of our money and, Mm. you know, set it up in that way. Um, Other things I have people do is make it be at a particular time each week so Mm. that you're jumping in and it's in your calendar and it's at that time and it's sacred. So that it, nothing is more important than doing that. And quite honestly, nothing is more important than doing that. Because if you want to succeed financially, I don't care. I got to, you know, at the moment, most of my clients make a ton of money mm-hmm. and yet they're $100,000 in debt. So it doesn't necessarily just mean that you can earn the money. It means that you have to know how to care for it in order to be financially independent. These people, you know, make, as I say, $250,000 a year and can't afford to buy a home because they're spending so much money on their debt. So, So, you know, you're just robbing yourself of a future when you don't take care of the debt and figure out ways of stopping that habit. It's so funny because we started our conversation talking about artists and that that feeling of oh man I just I can't charge what it's worth and now we're talking about almost the flip side we're talking about the people that are like hey ain't no thing I'll just go earn more money like no big deal at all and that cycle of trying to always out earn your bad spending habits goes nowhere real fast yeah and it's because the spending habits aren't about money at all right so they're about feeding some part of you where you are feeling deprived. Yeah. So deprived of love, deprived of joy, deprived of relationship, you know, whatever it is. And we are spending our money in the hopes that it's going to give us relief from that feeling of being deprived. And it can't, right? If you buy a dress and what you're really missing is relationship, it cannot fulfill that need. No, it's not. And so that's the other part of what I do with my clients is I help them understand 
what their needs actually are and what are appropriate ways of filling those needs that are actually going to succeed. So it's like, okay, if you're feeling alone, call a friend, use your money to be in a dating, you know, group, if you are looking for love in that way. Yeah. Um, But going out to eat with, you know, by yourself, isn't going to put you in relationship with somebody. So being, you know, one of the cornerstones and what I love about what I do is people think that budgeting is, you know, going to deprive them of something, Mm -hmm. right? I actually do not believe that. I believe the way to really get out of debt and take really good care of yourself and be financially successful is to make sure that you're taking incredibly good care of yourself all the time. Yeah. And so that you don't feel deprived, you know, in any way, so that you're spending your money towards those things that are going to give you the most bang for the buck on what you really, really need. Mm. I think this is such a good conversation. Cheryl, I've had a ton of fun just learning from you and learning a little bit more about your philosophies with coaching. I love them. I think I I can't agree more. I'm like, yes, yes, this is perfect. You, you care so much about your clients. Tell everybody if they're like listening to this and they're like, I think I need to hire Cheryl, which is where I'm at too. I'm like, this is wonderful. Like, let's do this in my life. This is perfect. How do they go to sign up for your coaching program to learn more about you? Is there a best place? Yeah. So I have a website. Uh, first of all, my business is called Self-Worth um, and it's self-worth. And the URL is uh, self-worth.coach. So a little different. People always want to put .com in there, but it is <laughs> .coach. Um, if you go to that site, one thing that I have for you just to get familiar with me is a on Monday nights, a free Q&A about money for an hour on every single Monday night. And there's a link for that on the homepage. On every page of the website is also a link for my newsletter, which I write most of the time once a week Mm -hmm. about debt, about saving, about changing your mindset, you know, anything money. So those are ways they can do that. There's also a tab on the homepage to book a discovery call, Mm -hmm. a free discovery call for 15 minutes so that we can talk and make sure that I'm the right person for you. Um, and so you can get in touch with me that way as well. This is so good. Cheryl, before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. My friend, tell me where is one location you're dying to travel to? Canada. I I went to college in Toronto and I have not been there in ages and I am dying to get back there. I love it. Would you go back to Toronto? Yeah. 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 And Montreal. Montreal is an amazing city too. How fun. Okay. I like it. I like it. Uh, My next question for you is what is one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? But my condo, I uh, had moved back to Chicago and was renting for a while till I found a place that I liked. And so about a year ago, bought this condo and it's been so wonderful. That's amazing. It's yeah. beautiful. Your artwork in the background is beautiful too. I wanted to tell oh, you that earlier. You. Love yeah. it. Okay. Next question for you. What is one book you find yourself gifting to people most often? So I have a new one 
that I'll tell you about. That is one of the most extraordinary books I've ever read in my entire life. Oh my gosh. That's a good recommendation. Oh my God. It's motivational Hmm. and it is poems and sometimes essays. It's called God, Sex, and Musical Theater, Meditations for Unlocking the Powerful Self. And the author is Kristen Hange, H-A-N-G-G-I. I was blown away by it. It's uh, I just got it a couple of weeks ago, but I have been telling everybody I know about it because it is just the most extraordinary book I've read in years and years and years and years and years. Oh my gosh. I'm going to go add that to my list right now. That sounds like a great one. It's just amazing. I love this. Okay. My friend, last question for you, in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? Believing you can get there. You know, that is the stumbling block for most people that I know who are having trouble financially or believing they deserve it or, you know, just being so addicted to struggle that they just can't imagine that they could have it any other way. Believe you can get there. I love it. Cheryl, thank you again for your time. It was so much fun connecting with you in this format. I love everything that you're up to and you're such a great coach. So it's always so fun to learn from other coaches too. You too. Wasn't this such a good conversation? I know I definitely learned a ton from Cheryl, and I really appreciated her perspectives coming from an artist's point of view. I think it's a little bit unique and definitely a message that we all need to hear more, especially if you are a creative entrepreneur or an artist of any type. All right. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a five-star review on whatever podcast player you are listening from. It means so much and it helps this podcast get in front of more people. So everybody that has already left a review, thank you so much. There's like over 300 of you. I'm so grateful for those reviews and your constant support of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you on Friday for five tip Friday or next week for another episode of the money nerds podcast. Bye. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.